Welcome to ASHTA Resource Q&A. We're taking time to discuss construction materials testing and inspection with people in the know. From exploring testing problems and solutions to laboratory best practices and quality management, we're covering topics important to you. Now, here's our host, Brian Johnson. This is another FAQ episode of Astro Resource Q&A. Kim, what are we talking about today? We are talking about FAQ that is posted on our website under the FAQs in the Astro Accreditation page. So we must get it a lot if it's actually posted FAQ. And it's how many times can I resolve the same nonconformity? Try to resolve the same nonconformity. Well, how many times are you going to get the same nonconformity <laughs> is the question that I would ask. I <laughs> That is a good one, and it does come up because there there are times that some of these nonconformities can be really tricky to resolve. And I've I've run into this myself uh, in internal audits where I think I've resolved something, and then it turns out that it's not resolved because it comes up again. And my strategy is to try something new, try something different, approach it from a different angle, and hopefully you can resolve it the next time. And when I say that, hopefully, that sounds like I'm just kind of going to make something up and go with it and just hope for the best. But that's not really that's not really what I'm trying to say. You really do have to look into it and analyze it and figure out what potential causes of the, the problem are and potential solutions. And, and I'd say even if you identify the root cause, sometimes when you take a corrective action, because of one reason or another, it doesn't work out the way you had hoped. And that's part of the continual improvement process. And that's okay. So it's not just because you had a repeat uh, nonconformity doesn't mean that you you did a bad job. Uh, so I don't want people to feel defeated when it doesn't work out. It just means that you really got to open up your options for resolving it. And, and maybe you need to look somewhere that you just didn't occur to you last time. But the good news is you've crossed one other option off your off your plate, right? Like you figured out that that, that one isn't it and, and that will help you narrow it down even further next time. As far as the answer goes, or you know, the question about how many times can I try to resolve it in one file, uh, let's say one nonconformity is written and how many times can you try to resolve it? That question comes up because a laboratory sometimes just doesn't understand what the issue is. They may submit a corrective action that doesn't really address the root cause. So then the quality analyst might review the, uh, the corrective action from the laboratory and say, you didn't really address the concern that was noted. Please try again. They may, they'll probably say something more direct than that uh, to get to the point. But the, it, but the idea is, okay, this isn't, this isn't it. Whatever you submitted isn't it. So you need to try something again. It, dig into it a little deeper. Really look at what the root cause was before you submit something else. But it, it is possible that you could go back and forth a few times if it's something that really is, is confusing to you. Uh, but I'd, I'd recommend if you are in a situation where you get something rejected from the quality analyst and you don't understand it, that's the time to pick up the phone and call them. They're not going to call you about it because you're really supposed to figure it out. But if you're really stumped and you just don't know where to turn, uh, you can ask for a little bit more guidance. But that being said, this is not 
a, a place where we're going to tell you exactly what to tell us to resolve the issue. And I think that has been a source of frustration for some of our customers where they come into it the first time thinking, well, I paid for this, so I'm expecting you to tell us what we need to do. That's that's not what uh, quality management is about. That's not what accreditation is about. We're acknowledging your conformance to the standard requirements. We are not creating that conformance for you. You need to distinguish yourself as a laboratory that cares about quality and is going to maintain all the requirements uh, in this process. Will the quality analyst say we need this type of document and we need this type of evidence to support that or not? Not saying how to do it, but this is the type of things that we need to in order for it to be resolved. They will. That That's pretty standard back and forth with the quality analyst. So if somebody says, let, let's say um, somebody didn't have a piece of equipment that was required in laboratory says, well, we bought the equipment, issue resolved. And, we, and the quality analyst would say, well, can we see some evidence that you purchased the equipment? Because we want to make sure you got the right one and that you actually have it and you're not just saying that you bought it. Uh, and and it's you'd be surprised, that, you know, some of the people listening would be surprised how often that comes up. So that that does happen, though. Sometimes people will submit evidence that says, we purchased the equipment, or not evidence, a corrective action says we purchased the equipment. Quality analysts will go back and say, show us evidence that you purchased it. And then we'll get evidence that they purchased it with a date that is after the time when they said they purchased it. So then we know that they, <laughs> they didn't actually purchase it. Now, in those kind of situations, uh, we haven't really taken a hard line stance on that. We know that they something didn't go right. Uh, if we see it a lot, we may go into a, a discussion about whether we can actually provide services to a laboratory that is intentionally telling us the wrong thing. But if it happens once or twice, we may say, okay, there must have been something going on there, uh, that, that, but we don't otherwise have concerns. So we do look at the, the totality of the interactions with the laboratory before we make a determination that, that they are uh, fraudulent in their activities. We don't, we don't want to jump to that conclusion without uh, enough evidence, uh, but that it certainly does happen from time to time. This conversation makes me think of another episode that we did, I think, I can't remember which one it is now, but it's the difference of the, I intend to do this corrective action, I have done this correct, or I'm doing this corrective action, and I've already done and completed this corrective action. Maybe it was the Ask the Quality Analyst episode, was that that episode? It, it might be, because it does come up a lot with the quality analyst, and, yeah. and sometimes I wonder about the tense of a verb that is used by the laboratory, and if it was unintentional at times. Mm -hmm. so that's why we don't jump to the the mm -hmm. completely negative conclusion right away on that. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, that is, it is common for, for people to submit something and the quality analyst says, no, please submit this. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of times it's just straightforward, please submit this thing. And then they look at it and determine if it's in conformance. And if it's not, they'll say, okay, well, you need to make some changes here. So, and this is interesting. So when I first read this question, I'm going to kind of go back. I interpreted this question and I didn't actually read the answer <laughs> before the episode that we started recording the episode. The answer that we have listed on our website was how many times can I try to resolve the same nonconformity in my head? I read that question as in per file, like this is how many times, how many back and forth. But then when you started, like how many times are you going to get it? I was like, oh, you can get it at repeat findings and repeat assessments. And I didn't even think of that part of that que the question, like that there is two parts to that question. So there are. 
Yeah, I, I hadn't even thought of that when we started the episode. So do you know of the LAP, the Laboratory Assessment Program, and the assessors, when they're repeat of findings, is there anything that's going on there that laboratories should be aware of? Or is there any red flags for in the assessment part before that even gets to the accreditation program about repeat findings and nonconformities? Yeah, I mean, the, the assessors are watching out for that because they do they do see what was noted last time before they issue their final report. So if there's a repeat nonconformity noted, it, it will be in the report on the Ashto resource reports. It'll say, you know, this was also noted in report, whatever it is. And that is a tip for everybody involved that a little bit more detail uh, is needed there. So I would hope that during the assessment that the assessor would note, note that and say, okay, well, this indicates that whatever you did last time, wasn't effective because here we are again writing the same thing. When you see a lot of those in a report, that is a concern though. It's not necessarily a, a major problem to have it happen here or there, but if you see a, a whole series of ones like that, notes in a report that show repeat nonconformities, that makes us wonder if the laboratory is really taking the corrective action process seriously. And we do require a more thorough root cause analysis on the back end. So when, when you respond to the quality analyst, we're going to expect a detailed root cause analysis on those repeat nonconformities to make sure that you really are investigating this properly. But that, I'd say if you're a laboratory and you see that in a report, especially when the assessment is going on and you're in your closeout meeting, that's a time to take an opportunity to ask that assessor about the issue, what are they seeing that's beyond the note that's written to help your your management figure out what a, a better solution might be or where else they might need to look that maybe they weren't thinking about. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll go back into the original thing that you were saying though about how it is two different things. So the FAQ on the website is really written around one file when, when a laboratory gets a finding, they submit a corrective action, it gets rejected, then they try something else, it gets rejected. You really don't want to do that too many times because you're, you're either rushing or you're not understanding what the issue is. But we don't have a cap as far as how many times is, is too many. I mean, I've had some people suggest to us that we should have a three strikes and you're out kind of policy. I don't really think that's, I don't like the arbitrary number just based on a baseball rule, uh, <laughs> it doesn't really seem appropriate for this kind of situation. One nonconformity might be simple and straightforward and easy to resolve, but another could be pretty complicated and it might require some conversation and some back and forth. And, th and that's okay because ultimately we want to get the laboratory into conformance uh, if we can and they're willing to put the effort in to get there. The only real restraint on how many times you try to resolve the same nonconformity would be the time limit, right? Like you only that's have right. six. 60 days mm -hmm. to to do that. So, and this is also a plug to start that process sooner, right? So if you don't know necessarily how complicated it will be so for a specific nonconformity necessarily. So if you submit all that information sooner and then there it ends up being a lot of back and forth for that, you'll have plenty of time. Absolutely. That's a really good, thank you for mentioning that because that I, I don't think we can state that enough how jumping on the corrective action sooner is going to lead to success. We've seen a huge difference between going from that 90-day deadline to the 60-day deadline, just in the quality of corrective actions that we're getting and the engagement from the laboratory personnel. 
there's less chances of having turnover in that time period too, which is helpful to the laboratory uh, to be able to really address those um, nonconformities effectively. Laboratories can start the corrective action process as soon as they get their preliminary report after the assessment and start investigating some of those root causes of, of those things. So they don't necessarily have to wait until they get the final report. So yeah, that's just note of that because again, sometimes this process can take longer and sometimes it's easy. <laughs> sometimes mm-hmm. you don't, and sometimes you don't know which it's going to be at the onset of that. Yeah, that's right. And I and I'd say like wh- where else th- this this FAQ on the website doesn't address this either. But I mean, I'd say this also corresponds to proficiency sample ratings. Uh, if you get low ratings twice in a row for the same item, then that can lead to a suspension, and that that's the same kind of thing. So you're supposed to take corrective action anytime you get a low rating the first time. But sometimes it does whatever you do doesn't resolve it, and then you end up getting accreditation suspended for that. And we would expect the laboratory at that point to to really get into the into the weeds with the nonconformities and investigate the root cause of those low ratings and figure out what it is. The worst thing a laboratory can do is guess and then just order another sample and hope for the best. Now, we do see that from time to time, but it usually leads to the laboratory getting multiple samples and the suspension lasting longer than they wanted it to. But if they would have put that effort in up front and figured out the root cause and took corrective action, then they could have avoided that. Now, I'm going to go back to a a moment before where I had a brain fart and was about to ask a question and then completely forgot what I was going to say. Um, But you were talking about the repeat findings and uh, nonconformities on assessment reports. Should not also those same or similar findings be uncovered during their internal audits as well? Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. If you're doing a good job with your internal audits, uh, you're looking at how you handled your corrective actions and your external audits. And if you're seeing a repeat finding, um, that would be one that you want to explore more during the internal audit. But so there, I guess, again, we could go in a bunch of different directions with that. So that's one thing. But then to address what you were actually asking about <laughs> is that if you are doing a good job in your internal audit, you're going to find that same problem too, right? Uh, one exception would be, and this was a, this was a question we got uh, during the technical exchange about internal audits, was do I have to watch the testing uh, performed during the internal audit? So you don't necessarily have to do that. I think it's a great idea. Like if you if you really want to do uh, an excellent job with your internal audit, it's a great idea to sample performance because that's a good way to evaluate your internal training and competency evaluation process is by, okay, so I've got a competency evaluation record or a training record that says you know how to run this test. Now go ahead and show it to me and see if, if it was if it was accurately reported. So it, during that internal audit, you could find out that, hey, you know, that worked out great. And that gives you confidence in your program. But let's say you did find a nonconformity in demonstration. And that was the same one that showed up in your last assessment report from an external provider. Then you say, okay, well, now not only do we potentially have an issue with our training, but we also have an issue with not taking effective corrective actions. So then you'd want to look into that as well and see if there's some improvements you can make. Yeah. And auditing is an exercise in sampling, right? Like, so you're not going to necessarily get everything all the time. So I understand that. But as you were talking about the repeat findings on the assessment, it's like, well, that could also come up on other 
um, audits, whether in first party or third party audits as well. So um, you potentially a laboratory could be seeing this over and over again, and that should be a red flag for them. Yeah, you definitely don't want that. I mean, when when you get a nonconformity on one of these issues, you want to resolve it and not see it again. So if you can take effective corrective action, that's your best tool. So you want to you want to get that corrective action process really um, tightened up. And I think that starts with a really thorough root cause analysis to find out what the actual problem is. So that's a whole other can of worms. <laughs> I think. Yeah, there's. I mean, there's books and books uh, written about effective corrective actions and different ways to investigate the root cause of the problem. Uh, you don't. You don't necessarily have to go that deep into it, but. Uh, you certainly could. Yes. All right. Is there anything else that we didn't cover that I should have asked you or anything that you want laboratories to know about how many times they can try to resolve the same nonconformity? Yeah, I'd say just be diligent about it. Do your best. Uh, that, that's all we that's all that's all we ever ask going in is that you do your best and you, and you try to resolve it. Uh, typically, when when people get upset about this issue, they aren't really doing their best work. And, and I don't know why they get frustrated because they must know it on some level that they're not doing their best work to get this resolved. But, but typically it's, I keep submitting some statement that is somehow rejected, but I, I it, no matter how many times I submit a statement, it is not getting accepted. And that that's, if you're thinking that way, uh, First of all, I doubt you're listening to this right now, <laughs> which that's that's part of the issue, right? The people who really are not interested in it in these topics are never going to pursue that kind of information. But most of the people who are listening to this probably have a hard time understanding why someone would not do their best and try to resolve it. And I guess all of us have to work on those people, right? We have to <laughs> we have to help convince them. The quality management is the right way to go. So uh, yeah. we'll, we'll keep doing our work on that. And everybody listening, hopefully you're doing it as well. I also wanted to, to interject that the quality analysts in the accreditation program are only enforcing the requirements in the standard. So to know what, like, I don't know what I need, you have the standard in front of you. You know what the requirements are. So for laboratories, you know, like it's it's not like the program is making up requirements, right? Your quality analysts aren't just on the fly, like, nope, we need this today. Um, it is all about what the standards say and or what the laboratory's internal procedures, if they're not following those. That's so right. Like Astro accreditation program is just making up stuff willy-nilly. It is all right there <laughs> for the laboratories to see. Yeah, great point. And and we do try where we can to list the standard reference, but Sometimes there are things, I, I think where it gets a little complicated is when there are uh, ASHTO accreditation policies mm -hmm. that we're referencing rather than just the test method. Because there could be a cross-reference between R18 or E329 or an app policy. And if a laboratory asks, well, we can, we can list all of the places that those things are, but we're not necessarily going to go into all that every time with a laboratory and say, oh, you can find a reference here, 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 and here. Generally, the finding will be accurate and laboratory can re refer to that finding and then look at the standard that like the first standard and find what they need. But if it gets a little confusing, they can reach out to us for some more information. But but yeah, I mean, most of the time it's very straightforward and it, you go to the standard, you find what you need 
make sure it's in conformance before you submit, and then it gets accepted. Yeah, and I think if there's any gray area in the wording of the standard, definitely reach out to the quality analyst for their interpretation or the program's interpretation of that wording. And that is why we do have some of those policy and guidance documents available, because there might be some gray areas that we do need a little more clarification on. But I think, again, it's not like we're, you're not trying to hit an invisible target <laughs> with, with some of these. Uh, if we're running into a situation where uh, somebody on staff is is just making up requirements and we're not doing the right thing and we'll take corrective action on our own because that's that that's not how you have a, a robust consistent accreditation program and that's that's what we want to have so if you ever find that it really seems like things are not uh, based on a standard or a published requirement then let me know uh, because we'll we'll want to fix that right away or get the information about where that is right away to you. We have meetings all the time internally talking about consistency, talking about application of requirements, any gray areas and standards so that we can provide the same service, a consistent service to all our customers and that the specifiers can rely on the results of the accreditation. So uh, if you have feedback, you can always reach out to me directly or we have a, a feedback form on our website that we we like to get because then that gets into um, into our management, goes to our quality manager as well as the ASHTA resource manager, and then whatever program managers are relevant. Uh, so that's that's really the ideal way to go, and we have our own process for getting back to you and letting you know what corrective actions we've taken and what investigation we've done into the concern. Yep, and you can find all of our feedback forms at ashtoresource.org slash feedback. I think that was it. So thank you so much, Brian, for answering this question and kind of went off to a lot of different offshoots. But thank you so much for answering this FAQ. Thanks for listening to Ashto Resource Q&A. If you'd like to be a guest or just submit a question, send us an email at podcast at ashtoresource.org or call Brian at 240-436-4820. For other news and related content, check out Ashto Resources' Twitter feed or go to ashtoresource.org.